today again. Uh, we're starting in the chapter 5 this morning. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. Uh, the title of our message this morning is like a thief in the night. But the last few weeks, we've been here at the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in verses 13 through 18. In fact, we spent two weeks in that passage. And we saw Paul saying, I'm, I'm bringing you these truths by the word of the Lord. Now, he's not just singling out this part of the epistle. We know all the epistle was written as the Holy Spirit moved upon him. But he's putting an extra emphasis upon this issue of the coming of the Lord. He's saying, listen, guys, I'm not making this up. This isn't my feeling. This isn't my thoughts. These aren't my ideas. But this is the word of the Lord concerning the coming of the Lord. And he starts all of this by talking about the resurrection and talking about the rapture, talking about those that are asleep in Christ. Remember, he says, they go to be with the Lord. We saw there in Corinthians, it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The thief on the cross, when he cried out to Jesus, you know, remember when we come into your kingdom, the Lord said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. When the believer passes away, pass away, his spirit goes to be with the Lord. His body goes to the earth. We came from dust to dust will return. That was part of the curse when man sinned. We go to be with the Lord through, again, the gospel, through Christ's death and resurrection and faith in him. And yet at the coming of the Lord, the Lord's going to come and he's going to bring those with him in Christ and their bodies will be resurrected and transformed. That's the resurrection. Christ is the first fruit of the resurrection. The body of Christ will be resurrected. And then it says, those that are alive and remain will be caught up in the air. That word caught up means to be snatched away. It's where we get our Latin word, raptus. It's where we get our English word, rapture. So we see the rapture is absolutely a biblical doctrine. We read about it here. Jesus talks about it. We read about it in 1 Corinthians and other places. And it says, when that happens, those that are alive and remain will be caught up. Uh, we'll meet the Lord in the air. We'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye. We read about that. And again, 1 Corinthians 15 and it says, thus, we'll always be together with the Lord. And it says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. We're not like those that don't have hope. In Christ, we have a great hope. We saw in this as well, the coming of the Lord or the day of the Lord. It's not a singular event, but it's a series of events. We talked about the fact that the word day in the Hebrew, it can be translated as a 24-hour period of time or a season, a, a, a span of time. And we always, we always come up with the meaning of that by the context we know in creation it says there was evening and morning and it was the first day that's very clear it was six literal days the lord created the earth bible makes that clear listen the scripture isn't written in a perverse matter it doesn't say a book of riddles on the front of your bible god made it in a way that is simple it's easy to understand the first day there was evening there was morning it was the first day Six literal days God created the earth. And in fact, the new heaven and new earth, guess what? The last time I read, he doesn't say at the end of the millennial reign, there'll be a new heaven, a new earth, and we'll have to sit around for 14 billion years for it all to unfold. It's going to happen. When it comes to the day of the Lord, though, we see from the scripture, it's a series of events. It seems that it starts with the coming of the Lord in the clouds for the church. We touched on some of that last week. I've talked about this many times before, our series in Revelation and so forth. Um, it seems to start with that event. Then it seems that there is the tribulational period that the Bible talks about in the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation. We'll touch more on it this morning where there's a, 
a seven-year period here on earth called the tribulation. It is predominantly about Israel coming to salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. God is not done with Israel. There's always been a remnant of believers out of Israel, the Jews. For the most part, though, they rejected the Lord at his first coming. Yet God has been faithful to Israel despite her faithlessness, has regathered her together as a nation despite her unbelief in these last days. And the Bible says the tribulation will be a time of Jacob's trouble. At the end of it, they're going to look on him whom they pierced, Christ Jesus. In the book of Zechariah, we read this, and all Israel will be saved. Paul wrote about that in the book of Romans. At the end of that tribulation, the Bible says we're coming back with the Lord. The rapture, we're going to be with the Lord. The ra- at the second coming, we're coming back with the Lord. He'll set on foot here on earth, starting in Armageddon, down to Basra, the Mount of Olives. The nations are going to gather together, and they actually think they're going to defeat God, and they're going to lose. They're not going to defeat God. And then we talked about the millennial reign of Christ for a thousand years here on earth. We'll rule and reign with them. That's all part of the day of the Lord. And then at the end of that time, there'll be a new heaven, a new earth, the white throne judgment, and so forth. This morning, what we're going to talk about is times and seasons. And the Bible says a lot about times and seasons. You know, Jesus talks about, as you can see the weather, you should be able to understand the times. And yet, despite that, Paul makes a great point here. Listen, we've talked to you about signs. We've talked to you about seasons. They're throughout the scripture. But really, though we've written you about those things and those are biblical, Really, we don't even need to talk about that, though, again, it's in the scripture and we should talk about that, but you need to know this bottom line, Jesus is coming like a thief in the night, so always be ready, always be looking, always be watchful, and he says when that happens, the world's going to be in a place, and we're going to differentiate between us, we and Christ, and they, those in the world, it says they're going to declare peace and safety, and we'll talk about the Antichrist who's going to come and seem to offer peace, But then sudden destruction is going to come. And we know that destruction is not going to come via Satan dictating things, but Jesus Christ in heaven breaking seals. And the Bible speaks about in the tribulation, the wrath of God being poured out upon earth. It's not the enemy's timing in it. It is according to Christ. He has the one, he's the only one worthy to break the seals, to claim back the deed of the earth that man forfeited when he sinned. And he's the one that ushers these things in. We'll talk about that. But it says that we absolutely are not of the darkness the day should not overtake us like a thief later on in verse 9 it says we're not appointed to wrath in luke 21 jesus says pray you'll escape all these things and so again we want to look at this this morning we want to consider these things and the thing we're going to emphasize over and over and over again no matter what your eschatology is if you're saying even right now oh well i'm not a pre-tribber i'm a mid-tribber i'm a post wrath or a pre you know what a pre-wrath or a post-trib or whatever, are you looking today for Jesus Christ because he said he's coming like a thief in the night? And if you put that eschatology over the words of Jesus, you're mistaken. Bottom line, he said he's coming at a time we don't expect. Again, the scripture as we paint this picture, I look at it and it seems to me he talks about us escaping those things. Tribulation, again, is about Israel predominantly. In Revelation, after chapter 4, you don't read about the church again. 19 times before that, the tribulation starts. You don't read about the church until the end of the book. The bottom line, we need to always watch. We need to be always looking, always ready. 
And so that's what we're, we're talking about today. Let's read verses one through four here, and then we'll just make our way down through this. It says, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness, so this day should overtake you as a thief. So he starts off, and again, he's already talking about the coming of the Lord. He's already talking about the day of the Lord. He's talking about the resurrection. He's talking about the rapture. And he says, concerning the times and seasons, brethren, and we need to differentiate here. The you are the brethren, the sisters, those in Christ. Is he your Lord and Savior today? Can you say amen to that? Then, then you are the you, we, we are the we here, versus the they. The they are those outside of Christ. So he says, concerning times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. And again, the times and seasons and the context have to do with the coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the end of the age, the rapture, the second coming of Christ, and so forth. Now, why is Paul saying, I have no need to write to you? A few reasons why. Number one, listen, they're already versed in this matter. This, this church had been birthed not long before this epistle was being written. We've seen this in the book of Acts. Paul went to Thessalonica. They didn't know the gospel. He preached the gospel. Many got saved. And immediately a persecution came down on Paul and the church. Paul was with them for three weeks, discipling them, getting, ground, getting them grounded in the things of God. And then he was driven out of the city. They wanted to get back to this young church because they knew they were under great persecution. Can you imagine? You know what? You say the sinner's prayer. You put your faith in Christ to be your Lord and Savior. You really trust in him. And then immediate persecution comes upon you to the point where some had already been martyred for their faith. They really wanted to get back. They said, we need to get back to these young believers. And we read earlier in the epistle that Satan was even hindering that from happening. But how did they combat that? Did they go and protest, open a door? No, they went and they prayed. And a door opened for Timothy to get back to them, to continue to disciple them, but also to then leave with a report back to Paul. And now Paul's writing this epistle, this word of encouragement to him. So this is a young church, but it was a church already versed in the coming of the Lord. So in those three weeks, no doubt Paul said, listen, we need to get to the nitty gritty. We got to get to the real foundational stuff. And one thing you really need to know is that the Lord is coming soon. And no doubt he talked about seasons and times because those seasons and times are talked about throughout Scripture. And then we'll see here in a minute, he also says, though, listen, you're versed in these things. But bottom line, though the Bible talks about seasons and times, and we'll see we need to be aware of those things. The bottom line is if we just emphasize this one point Jesus said he's coming like a thief in the night, and we hang all our eschatology on that. Listen, that should be enough for every day for us to be watchful, to know Jesus can come at any time. And that better be the foundation and the center of our eschatology, which is just a fancy word of the end of the age, is it Jesus can come at any time. That's what our emphasis needs to be upon, more so than pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, all these different things. Jesus said he can come at any time, like a thief. And that's why Paul says here, I have no need to write to you. Again, though, in that short time he had, a lot of emphasis was on this. This is no small matter. This is a big deal. In fact, all of Scripture really revolves around a couple of events. 
man fell in the garden, and then the promise was given that the Savior would come through the seed of the woman. The Holy Spirit would overshadow a virgin, so the Messiah could come as the Son of God, yet the Son of Man without a sin nature, that he'd go to the cross of Calvary to die for our sins, a sinless man dying for sinners who would resurrect from the dead so that through faith in him, accepting his death on our behalf, asking him to be our Lord and Savior, we would have salvation. Listen, the whole Old Testament predominantly revolves around the first coming of Jesus Christ. But throughout the Old and the New Testament as well, it's overlaid with the promise of the Lord's second coming. We know that really clear now at his first coming They didn't have things in their mind quite sorted out, but as revelation began to unfold, things became clearer and clearer and clearer. And so again, the first coming, it's huge. Without the first coming of the Lord, if Jesus didn't come, if he didn't die for our sins, if he didn't resurrect from the grave, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, we are a people that should be pitied. He says, if Christ did not rise, we should eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we die. But the good news is that he did resurrect. And he's the first fruits of the resurrection. And if you're in faith in Christ Jesus, to be absent from the bodies, to be present from, with the Lord, but the day is coming when these bodies will be resurrected and immortality is going to swallow up mortality and we are going to have a glorious resurrected body that is no longer under the effects of sin and the enemy of our soul and so forth. So again, the coming of the Lord was huge. They emphasized the first coming of the Lord. Paul preached to them out of the Old Testament about the first coming of the Lord, Christ's death, Christ's resurrection. Think about the announcement made to Joseph, uh, Matthew 121, speaking of his wife, she will bring forth the son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what the first coming is all about. And so a great emphasis on that. And then a great emphasis on the second coming. Listen, there's five times more prophecy about the Lord's second coming than his first. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies in his first coming. The odds of someone doing that, they're astronomical. We don't even have the math to lay out the odds of that. It's one of the ways the Lord told us and shows us that his word is prophetic, that it's set apart from the writings of men. The Lord knows the end from the beginning. So when the Messiah came, they would know this is the Messiah by what he did, where he was born, how he lived, in his death, how he died, in his resurrection, and so forth. But five times more concerning his second coming. And why, this is, why is this so important? Because at the Lord's second coming, the day of the Lord, God is going to bring a restoration of all things. We read about this in Acts 3, 1 through 3, but I want to read it again. Or, sorry, 3, 19 through 21. It says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who has preached to you before, whom heaven must receive, now notice this, until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all the holy prophets since the world began. You got to know and understand this world wasn't created to be under the sway of the enemy. This world wasn't created for man to run around and live in a fallen state. It wasn't created for wars. It wasn't created for cancer. It wasn't created for child abuse. It wasn't created for, you know what, all our immoral actions and lies and all these things. Listen, God created man in a perfect state, and he gave man a free will. Remember? One command. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. And again, the enemy came along 
and make God the bad guy. God's lying to you. God's not telling you the truth. Listen, he knows the day you eat of this tree, you're not going to die. In fact, he knows the day you eat of the tree, you're going to be like God. And man, listen to that lie. Ate of that tree. Death set in. And at that point, God could have said, we're done with this. I told you, eat of that tree, you're going to die. You're going to be separated from me. I've already created hell for the devil and his angels. It wasn't created for man. But since you fall asleep, you're going to be subjected to it. But instead, he said, listen, I'm going to send my son. I'm going to show you how much I love you. And he gave the promise of his Savior. Christ came. Salvation comes through only one, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. So he came to save us. And then he has a promise he's coming back. And he's going to restore all things. There's going to be a restoration. When man sinned, the Bible says creation went into a bondage. And all creation is yearning for the coming of the Lord, for everything to be restored. Romans 8, 18 through 25 puts it like this. Encourage you to drink this in. Just let it saturate your heart. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption of the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. And so the time is coming when the Lord is going to bring restoration. He's going to bring order. These weren't small matters. They were big matters. That's why Paul versed this young church in these things right away. Now, we touched on this last week, and I want to touch on it real quickly again. The Bible says in the last days there will be scoffers. It's part of those signs and seasons and so forth. What's the sign of his coming? There's going to be people who mock the coming of the Lord, and there's going to be a growing mockery and and scoffing at the coming of the Lord. You see that in the world. Unfortunately, you see that in a lot of what's called Christendom today. The Lord says they willfully forget Because they say, listen, things are as they've always been. He says, they willfully forget God destroyed the earth already with the flood. And there's evidences of that in history. There's evidence of that on the highest mountains upon the earth when you find seashells and when you find fossils and so forth. Every ancient civilization talks about a great flood. The Bible declares it, God's word. He says, they willfully forget that, say things have been as they've always been. That's a lie. And they willfully forget Again, those things, and yet the Lord is coming back, and all this is going to end with a new heaven and a new earth. But he tells us, listen, in all these things, the Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he's long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we need to remember that. We're in an age right now of great grace. God's long-suffering in his coming because he's wanting people to come to know him, and that should stir us. 
Instead of getting embittered at a world that more and more is getting antichrist and calling good evil and evil good, let's remember the Lord is long-suffering in his coming. He hasn't come until this point because he wants to see these people get saved. Listen, God's not shocked when sinners behave like sinners. It's not a shocking thing. We have a sin nature outside of the Lord. And even when we come to Christ, again, we're a new creation in Christ, but we still have to wage war against that sin nature that comes against our soul. Let's remember it. And let's also rejoice. You know what? If you've been a Christian for the last five years, say you got saved three years ago, aren't you glad that the Lord was long-suffering, didn't come back five years ago? Or 10 or 15? Maybe you've been a Christian for 42 years. Aren't you glad the Lord didn't come back 43 years ago? But gave opportunity. This isn't to say he's not coming back. He is. This passage is emphasizing it. The Lord says, I'm coming like a thief in the night. But we also need to know he's long-suffering. Even in the midst, and we'll get into this in a second, of all these signs that we see. And again, the signs are there. We need to be aware of them. But he's coming back when he's ready. Now again, the Bible does have a lot to say about signs and seasons and so forth. We touched on this last week in Matthew 24, 3. It's the Olivet Discourse. It's the Passion Week. The Lord's going to the cross. They're leading from the temple. They're going east to the Mount of Olives where you can oversee the temple. And the disciples say to Jesus, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. And the Lord spends two chapters talking to them about the sign of his coming. The end of the age. Or 2 Timothy 3.1. But know this in the last days, perilous times will come. And then Paul goes into this big discourse of how men will be their love growing cold of truth and so forth and for the Lord. And then again, we read there in 2 Peter 3, he says, know this verse, scoffers will come in the last days. And the Bible talks about signs and seasons and so forth throughout it. And everywhere in scripture, when there's individuals that are understanding the times, God always commends them. And when people don't want to discern the times, the Lord always rebukes them. And I think this is important because there's voices in the world today that want to downplay prophecy they want to downplay the regathering of Israel, which is an incredible prophetic sign at the end of the age and so forth. They want to say, don't worry about that stuff. Don't get interested in those things. Let's just, just be about, you know, uh, social justice and so forth. We don't need to be concerned with all these matters. That is unbiblical. The sons of Ishasar in 1 Chronicles 12, 32, it says, these men understood the times to know what Israel ought to do. They understood. They looked at the day they were living in and they compared it with scripture. They understood the nations around them were pagan, that were practicing paganism, worshiping demons into gross sexual immorality, offering their children up on idols and so forth. They understood the times. They understood a Messiah, a Messiah was coming and guess what? As a result of that, they knew what they were supposed to be doing. They were to be about the business of God. And yet the other side of this, we read in Matthew 16, 1 through 4, it says, Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came, testing Jesus, asked him uh, if they, and asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. And he answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. In the morning, it will be foul weather today, because the sky is red and threatening. And then the Lord says, hypocrites. With an exclamation point. Can you imagine standing in front of Jesus and him calling you a hypocrite with an exclamation point? He says, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. 
A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah, and he left them and departed. He called them hypocrites. He says, you know when it's going to rain. You know when it's not going to rain. By just looking at the sky, they, they didn't have, you know what, uh, the weather channel. They, they, they kind of did it the old-fashioned way, probably the better way. Oh, yeah, you know, I, I hear the frogs and so forth, so that's by my rain. And he says, you can discern that, but you can't discern the times. And listen, the Messiah was right in front of their face. Jesus was born of a virgin in Bethlehem. Prophecy was being unfolded right in front of them. The lame were healed. Demons were cast out. He preached with boldness. John the Baptist had come according to Scripture and made the way straight. Jesus was even saying, they're going to destroy this temple. In three days, I'm going to raise it up. It was all in front of them. They could discern the weather, but they couldn't discern the times. And Jesus rebuked them for that. Let me ask you, what's more important today? The weather? Discerning the weather? Or discerning the times that we're living in that, listen, Jesus already said he's coming like a thief in the night. And he gave us a whole bunch of signs that would converge right before his coming. I, I think that's a little more important whether it's going to rain or not today. And again, he tells us all these things not to discourage us. Not to bog us down. Not, as, not to have us here kicking rocks, but to stir us to be about his business. And to lift up our heads. Again, on the Olivet Discourse in Luke's account, Luke 21, 28, it says that Jesus said, now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift your head because your redemption draws near. Is he your Lord and Savior this morning? Can you say amen to that? Amen. Then look up. Listen, God has blessed us abundantly here today. We are a blessed people. And then to know we have a future and a hope, to know the Lord's going to bring a restoration of all things, that's a glorious, glorious thing. And so again, signs and seasons. We talked a lot about it last week, the regathering of Israel. Talked about the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war. Where Ezekiel prophesied, again, the chapters before in the last days, God would bring Israel back together despite being a people of unbelief. That eventually they'd become a people of belief. But he speaks of Russia and Iran and Turkey and other nations forming an alliance and coming against Israel. Does anyone listen to the news? Listen, in Syria right now, they're right next door to Israel. You have Russian troops. You have Persian or Iranian troops. And you have Turkish troops. They're very hostile towards Israel. Israel has the largest deposit of natural gas in the world. Israel is booming economy. Those other nations, not so much. The unemployment rate in Iran is 27%. Ours is 2.7%. We have a lot to be thankful for, amen? amen? We really, really do. And we need to give praise to God for that and thank Him and not be a people that would be ungrateful. These things can unfold at any time. We talked about pestilence last week and wars and rumors of wars, not just nation against nation, but kingdom against kingdom, ethnic wars and nations being divided. Listen, our nation is not the only one with great divisions in it. I mean, some of these people just get nuts about this stuff. I'm never going to talk to my parents again because they didn't vote who I voted for. Ah! And I know parents. I can't believe this kid and what they're thinking. I'm done with them. 
That's not God's intent, God's will. Listen, most of that stuff doesn't even affect you unless you let it. I'm not going to be affected by someone in some, you know what, building somewhere. Whether I agree with or disagree with the bulk of their policies. Jesus talked about the love of many growing cold. Again, Paul talks about that in in 2 Timothy 3, perilous times. Men lovers of self rather than lovers of God. They want to form a godliness but deny the power. And Jesus talks about deception over and over again on that Olivet Discourse. Do not be deceived. We're living a time of, of great theological and biblical deception where lies are wrapped, you know, with, with truth. And those are always the, the, the best lies, the one that looks the most truth, truthful, that lead you away from the gospel and the truth of the scriptures. Plus, we're living in an age where it's, just, it's hard to even know what's true and what's not true, right? Something happens and then just all this information is dumped on us that contradicts itself. Well, what's true? What, what's really going on in this age of, Media, video, and so forth. Listen, if you don't think, if you think everything you hear and you see, whether you listen to CNN, you know, or or Fox or whatever, listen, there's there's lies all over. There's people with agendas. This isn't Pastor Steve with a conspiracy theory. I've read Psalm chapter two. The nations conspire; they rage against God, and you better believe it's from all angles. The Bible said it would be such a way, a time of great deception. In Isaiah 24, it talks about the world changing the ordinances of God. Those first things given by God. Created in God's image and likeness. Male and female. Boy, that's under great assault, isn't it? Marriage between a man and a woman under great assault. Mark talked about yesterday someone that They married themselves. And it was like honored by the state or whatever. Oh my goodness. Great assault against the family. uh, uh, Against, again, to have dominion over the earth. Listen, the earth was created for man, not the other way around. Should we be good stewards of it? Yes. But this is not our God. Our God made it for us. To have dominion over it, to use it for his glory. Yes, to be good stewards, but boy, all these things are under assault. And I think it was last week or the week before, talked about how very well the mark of the beast could even say, I'm changing my DNA to no longer be in the image and likeness of God. We're changing the ordinances. There's signs all around us. And the technologies today, listen, the usher in parts of, uh, of, of the Bible we read about or men read about for hundreds of years, they said, how can that happen? How can the two witnesses lay in the street dead and all the world see that? Well, listen, we know how that happens today. Go to any part of the world. You could, you could see a kid with one pair of clothing on with no shoes kicking a soccer ball and he has a smartphone in his hands. That's not an exaggeration. On and on, you know, we, we could go deeper and deeper into this. 1 Timothy 4.1, the Spirit says expressly in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Survey recently by Lifeway, it was by self-identified evangelicals. These are people that say they believe in the Bible, they believe in the gospel, Scripture is the final authority, yet the statement was made, sex outside of traditional marriage is sin. Only 52% of evangelicals agreed with that statement. So 48% said no. 
it's fine, it's not a sin. Yet last week we saw, it is, or a few weeks ago, we saw it's God's will. We abstain from sexual immorality. He's talking to Christians there. To walk in our Christianity now. We've received grace. Now let's walk in the grace of God he's given to us. That's bestowed upon us. It's God's divine influence, and now we can walk in our Christianity. Yet half of evangelicals say no. That's a doctrine of demons right there. And it goes on from here. Listen, abortion is a sin. Only 48% of evangelicals agree with that. So 52% said, no, you, you can terminate the life of a child in the womb. John the Baptist leaped in his mother's womb when Mary came in with Christ in her womb. Again, changing the ordinances of God, though. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Islam. 46% of evangelicals agreed with that statement. Islam? You know what the God of Islam says? There's only one God, and he has no son. (laughs) That's a demon, is what that is. Yet 46%? I agree with that. We can thank Rick Warren for that, because he says it's the same God. He's a liar. He is a filthy liar, I'll add on top of that. A very, very slick deceiver, leading many, many people to destruction. His mentor, Robert Schuller, said, if I come back in 100 years and I found my whole congregation had become Muslims, I would rejoice in that. Please search this, test it out. We have a pamphlet out there on that rack called Krishlam, the combining of these things. Please educate yourself. If you don't know these things and, and you're just like, I'm an advocate for these people, you've been deceived. Please, please test it. And I say that to you out of love for your soul and a love for Muslims. A lot of you guys know I'm of Jewish uh, descent. I'm also of Persian descent. I want to see these people get saved, maybe even with a little more unction, knowing you know, what my ancestry and so forth. So it goes on and on and on. The signs are all around us. But again, in verse 3 or verse 2, he says, But you yourself know perfectly the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. So, with all this stuff said, all these signs, all these seasons, you know, we've written to you about these things. You should talk about these things. You should know these things. But, bottom line, listen, we can even put that over here because the Lord said he's coming like a thief in the night. He says, You know this perfectly. It's perfectly clear. There's no confusion. This isn't a riddle. He's coming like a thief in the night. Now, what's he really mean by that? He's coming like a thief in the night. And listen, thieves don't announce when they're going to come in the night. You don't get a card in your mailbox from the local cat burglar saying, hey, I'm coming tonight. In fact, Jesus talks about this over and over again, about him coming like a thief in the night. And he says, the man that knew the thief was coming in the night is going to be ready. And if I know a thief's coming to my house tonight, listen, if I know that for a fact, he's coming to my house tonight, he's going to come to a world full of hurt because I'm going to be ready for him. Jesus uses that illustration to say, listen, a a man of God's going to be ready to defend his family. He doesn't hear, he's coming like a thief in the night. Fetal position in the corner, fellas. No, he says, you're going to man up and you're going to defend your home. That's the Lord advocating you, protecting your family. That's the Lord telling you to stand up for your family. If the thief comes in the night, you don't just sit on your hands and let him brutalize your family and go into the fetal position and pray. You stand up and you say, in Jesus' name, I'm going to defend my family. And yet a lot of people, again, are advocating, fetal position. No, I'm, 
I'm, I'm standing up to defend my family. That, the Lord uses that. If you knew, you would be ready. You got a right to bear arms. Listen, you defend your family. And if you say, I wouldn't, I don't think you're worth your salt. Because the Lord uses it as an illustration. He says, if you know when the thief was coming, in fact, let's just read it, Matthew 24, 36 through 44. But at that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the, the coming of the son of man. For as the days of Noah before the flood, they were eating, they were drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. And then in verse 42, he says, Watch therefore, you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. In other words, the master of the house isn't in the fetal position. He's like, we're ready for a thief. And guess what? You're not going to break into my house. I'm going to stop you from doing that. You're stealing, and I'm going to stop you. I'm going to actually get you arrested because if, you don't, if I don't stop you, you're going to steal from my neighbor, and I want to love my neighbor. And I want to love you too because you need to know what you're doing is wrong. You need to have the law put on you so that you would come to a place of repentance. That's a little commentary on some other issues in the world today. But the bottom line is you're going to watch and you're going to be ready. You're going to be looking. The Lord has wanted every generation to be looking with anticipation. And no doubt there have been certain generations. Can you imagine being in, World War, being in England in World War II? You already know there's been a move in Israel where Jews are moving back to, to, to Israel. The kibbutz are there and so forth. There's been provision even by your own country to make a way for that. There's probably close to a million Jews already in Israel. They're not a nation. You're there. You got the Hitler running around. Boy, do you need a type of Antichrist? Yeah, I think Hitler fits the bill. I think we'd all agree with that. You're being bombed nonstop. You have an anticipation. But even in those 200-some years of peace we talked about a couple weeks ago, that most of history, there's always been wars, but there's been like 200-some years of peace they talk about. Listen, even those people need to be anticipating. Be looking. No matter what's going on, does your eschatology, the coming Lord, revolve around this one truth? Jesus said to always watch. He's coming like a thief in the night. And if that's not the case, you need to get that corrected this morning. You need to get it corrected. Listen, if you lived your whole life looking for the Lord to come, and he didn't come with the bus for the whole church, but he came finally with the taxi, it would not be a wasted life. A wasted life is when our eyes are down and we're just about earthly business. We want to be about eternal business. And in everything we're doing, walk in these truths. One other side note with this, listen, the signs and seasons, we want to be aware. But don't let prophecy conferences harden you. Let them stir you. Books and radio programs, a lot of the stuff we have around here, some people get hardened. Oh, in the 70s, I thought Jesus was coming. And then the 80s, and so now I'm done looking. The Lord's not coming. He hasn't come yet. He's coming when he's ready to come. But he told us to always look and always to be ready. I read the late great planet earth and now he didn't come back humbug i'm about other things jesus said to watch and be ready to always be looking and i'll tell you even more dangerous than this don't listen to people that set dates i like to line all these guys up and well i won't get into that all these date setters 
the Jonathan Cons of the world, the Mark Blitzes, the Harold Campings. We're going to set some dates, and we're a prophet. Listen, you're a false prophet when you start setting dates and they don't come about. And Jesus said in Mark 13, 32, but at that day and hour, no one knows. But these guys do damage to the body of Christ. And then genuine shepherds got to go pick up the pieces because people afterwards, they're disillusioned. And back to Thessalonica, they quit working because they said he's coming. And, and, and the Lord said, listen, go get a job and quit scavenging other people's food. In fact, if they don't work, they're not supposed to eat. We're, we're going to put a little pressure on them to go get a job. We need to be about his business, not having our heart hearted. And when people start setting dates, immediately turn off the TV. This nonsense last year with the moon and all the, the stars, the alignment. Listen, all that prophecy had already been fulfilled. You know, these guys start promoting it, and there's a big following. Raw, raw, raw. He can come at any time. The Lord says no one knows the day or the hour. Discern when people set a date. Jesus said no one knows the day or the hour. Uh, you're a liar. The Lord said you don't know that. Do I want to listen to Jesus or this guy wanting to get a 15 minutes of fame and a little following on YouTube nowadays? Verse 3, he says, When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Now notice, they them they we talked about this at the beginning we're brethren we're sister in the lord they are those outside of jesus they're in darkness they're in the world and this world today desperately wants peace and safety i, I can't remember who it was I, I looked for it this week maybe i'll find it and share it with you uh, there, there there's an individual high up in one of the governments who had said at some global meeting um we need an individual that the world can follow who could come usher in peace, and we don't care if he's of the devil or of God, we just need someone who can bring him peace. We're living in a day of willful rebellion, surrounded by wars, rumors of wars, all those signs we're talking about. Listen, the world's aware of those things. The Lord's offering peace and safety right now, whoever call on the name of the Lord. Listen, I got peace this morning, I got safety, because I know no matter what I go through, God's going to use it for his glory, and Jesus Christ will never leave me, nor, for, for, nor forsake me. There is no more safety than that, and you have that too in Christ, but the world doesn't want that. They want to hunker down and have carnal comfort, not the comfort of Christ, and so they're saying, we give us peace and safety. Give us someone who can unify all of us. And listen, when the tribulation begins, there's going to be seals broken in heaven by Jesus Christ. And the first seal is going to bring in an individual that says, I'm your man. I'm here to give you peace and safety. And everyone's going to marvel. Jesus said this in John 5, 43, I've come in my Father's name and you did not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. Revelation 6, 1 and 2 says he's going to go forth with a bow on a white horse conquering. But if we compare scripture with scripture, we see he's not going to conquer with a bow and a bow and arrow, but a bow in a sense of a covenant. Daniel 9, 27 says he'll confirm a covenant with the many for one week. The world will enter into a seven-year covenant. Israel will enter into covenant with their neighbors. There will be peace there, at least for a very short period of time. And they're going to say, peace and safety, finally. Finally, that everyone's disarming their nuclear weapons. We're finally all going to get along. And this individual, it says about him in, in Revelation 13, it says, 
In verse 3, all the world marveled and followed the beast, and they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who's able to make war with them? And that lie is going to bring them right to the, uh, the valley of Armageddon, where they're going to line up and say, we're going to defeat God, because no one can make war with the beast. He's going to bring lying signs and wonders. It seems that he's going to even have a, 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 a type of resurrection where he'll be wounded, and everyone will marvel, and so forth. And yet it says, yet destruction will be poured out upon them. Peace and safety, then sudden destruction. And again, go read Revelation. Go read Revelation 6, you know, down through about chapter 19, and you see the wrath of God. Revelation 6, 17 talks about the wrath of God. Revelation 4, 15, 1, the wrath of God being poured out during the tribulation. Again, it, this stuff that happens in the tribulation is dictated by heaven. God doesn't say, oh, Satan, you you." Whenever you want to bring forth the Antichrist, no, the Lord breaks those seals. And then it talks about famine and wars and pestilence and all these different things. Peace and safety, then sudden destruction in the order. What's he talking about before this? The, the church. The church being taken. Again, listen, bottom line, let's be looking for the Lord at all times. I'm not saying this is exactly how all this will unfold. I, I, I think scripturally, it absolutely makes the most sense. I know this bottom line, we better be looking every day. And if you're like mid-trib, you know what? And, and you're like, I, no, I'm not going to look for that because I think we're going to go through this. The Lord said to look always. He's coming like a thief. And he says it's going to come like labor pains. And think about labor pains. You know, it's the third trimester. Generally, with most ladies, you can tell when they're in their third trimester, right? There are signs there. First trimester, too, because it's like pickles and peanut butter, morning sickness, that third trimester, though, again, the baby's showing. Maybe you see a, I, I heard a thing the other day that babies kick with 10 pounds of pressure. Makes me respect ladies even all the more. You know, those little fists and elbows and so forth and all that going. You can see there's signs there. And when the birth pains come, again, the contractions, they, they come faster and faster and faster. And it's, it's painful, but it ushers in a child. And all this is going to usher in the second coming of the Lord us coming back with the church. But again, they're going to say peace and safety, but then sudden destruction is going to come upon them like a birth pain, and they won't escape. They, them, they won't escape. But notice what the rest of this says, and we're going to come back to this next week. He says, but you, brethren, are not in the darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. You are sons of the light, sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. I, I do know some people that get drunk during the day, but you know, I, I get the point being made here. But let us who are of the day live sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, the helmet of the hope of our salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. Whether we wake or sleep, we shall live with him. And Jesus said this, again, the Olivet Discourse. He's talking about all the stuff that will unfold. Luke 21, 34, but take heed to yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness, the cares of this life, and the day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth. Watch therefore, pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. They won't escape. He says, pray you will escape. Pray you're counted worthy to escape. How am I counted worthy to escape? There's only one thing that, one thing that makes me worthy faith in Jesus Christ. But I want to be ready when he comes. Again, 
I want the Lord taking me out, pilling the world's hands off me, trying to hold me down, versus the Lord having to pill my hands off the world and go, ah, you know, one of these things as I go up. I think that's our urgency. Where are we? Are we bogged down with the cares of this world, or are we living for the Lord? A couple of side notes here, and we're almost done. In Matthew 25, the Lord gave another parable of, of ten virgins that were waiting for the, the, the groom to come. And when someone was betrothed in those days, it was beyond engagement. They were committed to marriage, but there would be a year period where the groom could come at any time and the bride would wait. And the Lord uses this parable of these ten brides and they all fall asleep. Five fall asleep with oil in their lamps, though, and the other five don't. And at midnight, the cry goes forth on some random night. Here comes, here comes the uh, groom. They had all fallen asleep. They wake up. The five with oil are going out to meet the, bride, or the groom. And the five without oil are like, give us some of your oil. They're like, you got to get your own oil. And that's just a picture, an oil, a picture of the Holy Spirit. You, you got to go to Jesus. You can't get, you know, I can point you to Jesus, but you got to go to Jesus. And those five go out and meet, again, the groom. And then later on, the other five show up with oil, and the groom says, I don't know you. Get out of here. And the Lord says, watch and always be ready. Now, some have suggested that on this side of the tribulation, those that hear the gospel, those that maybe they're in the place of, of, of thinking they know the Lord, but they really don't know the Lord. Again, this has just been suggested that when the tribulation comes, they're going to give up being given over to strong delusions. The Bible talks about that in 2 Thessalonians because they didn't love the truth. They loved a form of godliness. They didn't love the truth, though. And some have suggested that those individuals are going to be under deception and the Lord's giving them over to their will at this side of eternity and they're not going to be able to come into salvation during the tribulation. Again, it's just been suggested. I'm not saying that's absolutely how it's going to unfold. But there's a lot of scriptures that talk about if you hear his voice today, don't harden your heart. And I throw that out to anyone today that's saying, well, you know, when all this unfolds, then I'll get right with God. I would encourage you to get right with the Lord today. To call upon him absolutely right now. To put your faith in him right now. Again, verse 4, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, that this day should overtake you as a thief. And we'll, we'll pick up there next week. Lord willing, begin to build on this. We'll talk about a little more of what we've talked about and so forth. And uh, listen, again, bottom line, Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. We need to be looking. We need to be ready. It could be tonight. It could be today. But he is coming. If your heart's been hardened these things, you need to reassess. You need to reassess things according to the words of Jesus, the words of Scripture. Again, if, you've just, if your eschatology revolves around, we're going to go through all this stuff then, you need to reassess that. That might be how it unfolds, but the Lord says, always be looking, always be watching, always be ready. Don't discount because you don't believe in Pastor Steve's view of eschatology. He leans pre-trib. Well, I don't, I'm against that, so let's fight. I don't want to fight with you over that. But I want to ask you this. Are you ready for Jesus to come today if he chooses to? Because to me, that trumps all of our opinions on this stuff, does it not? He said he's coming like a thief. Pretty simple. That's why he says you know this real well. There ain't a riddle here. Let's stand up and we'll, we'll close in prayer and worship.
Well, Lord, again, we bless you and we praise you. We thank you for your word. And Jesus, we thank you, God, for our salvation. And we thank you, Lord, for that restoration of all things that is soon to come, Lord. I pray we would look in anticipation. I would pray, God, that if our hearts have grown hardened to these things, that absolutely this morning, God, you chip away those, those, those layers of, of calluses and, God, the hardness and... Lord, we could just receive this simple truth here today and, and walk in it and be a people, God, a, a, about your business, rejoicing in you and having a thankful heart and shining for you, God. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, today's the day of salvation and it is, it is time to repent and put your faith in Christ. The times of refreshing can come from him. The scripture says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means you're asking Jesus to be your Lord. Repentance means you are turning from what your Lord is to say, I want Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I trust in you. I want you to reign over my life. I, I want you to rule over my life with your spirit according to your word. Come and begin to do a work in me. And the Bible says, whoever calls on his name is saved, and we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Call on him today. We praise you, God. Let's lift our voices to the Lord. Keeper of the stars, Lord of time and space, I will live my life, lifting up your name, lover of my
Amen. Amen. God bless you in the Lord Jesus Christ.